Jesus. Let me hear your hands this morning. We are here for a purpose. We are not an accident. You are not an accident. God put you into this world for such a time as this. And he's put Brian Church into this community for such a time as this. And I, I, uh, I don't want you to misunderstand anything. I've, I've hesitated saying anything, but I'm really thankful for what God's doing in Asbury. But I want what God wants to do in Pleasant Hill, Altoona, and Des Moines. And God's got a purpose for this place in this time now. We've spent several weeks talking. And by the way, I'm thrilled with what I'm reading. But I want to be thrilled about what I'm seeing in this place. I, um, we've spent a few weeks talking about our values. What is the basis, the foundation that provides direction for how we do ministry? And we we're talking as a team and thought it's probably important that every now and then we review our mission statement so it doesn't become just a motto or another uh, writing on a wall somewhere. Because we believe that God has placed us here for a purpose, that Brian Church exists to extend hope and to that was really weak i was hoping for so much more than that let's try it again brian church exists to extend hope and wholeness to broken humanity and i don't want that just to be a moniker that we put on stationary but it's the driver what we believe is the purpose god has called us to your worldview will impact your faith and your conduct i want to say that again your view of the world your worldview will impact what you believe and how you behave and we're going to focus this morning on the last part of that mission statement we exist to extend hope and wholeness to a broken world, to broken humanity. What does that even mean? And is that even real? I know that there's much beauty around us and there is much to be thankful for, but we live in a broken world filled with broken people. This is not how God intended the world that we live in to be. And I don't think we will ever effectively extend hope and wholeness till we recognize and own the fact that this world is broken, filled with broken people. So I want you to think about that a little bit this morning, that we do live in a broken world. Our world started as a beautiful garden. The Garden of Eden is synonymous with paradise and beauty. It was never intended to produce thorns and thistles. To Adam, after the fall, after their sin, here's what God said. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. Now, Adam will have to deal with the consequences in his own life, but think about our sin brought the judgment of God upon the earth. And when God said that the world was cursed, you have to understand that the only kind of curse the Bible knows about is the curse of God's judgment. Scripture doesn't even acknowledge demonic curses or witchcraft curses because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And if you're worried about those kind of curses, get over and put your faith in Jesus Christ. When the Bible talks about a curse, it's talking about the judgment of God on the world that we live in. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, we, need, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the law of entropy or the second law of thermodynamics that says everything in our world moves from order to chaos. When you look at what happens, we go from order to chaos, from good uh, to bad, from functional to dysfunctional. All things in our world tend toward disorder. More specifically, the second law of thermodynamics states that as one goes forward in time, net entropy or the degree of disorder in any isolated or closed system will always increase. Goes on to say, as you read the article that I was reading, which you're not reading, but I'm going to share it with you. Entropy is all around us. Think about this. Cells within your body are dying and degrading. You are not going to live forever. From the moment you were born, you were headed toward death. An employee or coworker is making a mistake. 
The floor is getting dusty. The heat from your coffee is spreading out. Zoom out a little and businesses are failing. Crimes and revolutions are occurring and relationships are ending. Zoom out a lot further and we'll see the entire universe marching toward a collapse. And I know, again, we celebrate the sunrise and the sunset and the beauty of God's creation. The, the firmament declared the glory of God. The, 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 the heavens declared the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. I believe all that, but it's also telling us something else. This world is broken. Things are not getting better. They're getting worse. Think about the evidences in our broken world, natural disasters that include things like avalanches, landslides, disease, earthquakes, famines, heat waves, tornadoes, cyclones, tsunamis, volcanic eruptions, wildfires, and winter storms, disasters that are resulting in destruction and pain. And I want to give you a little bit of a sense to that this morning. Now, I know this is going to be really negative for a while, and I hope to be able to pull it out before the plane crashes into the into the earth earth between in and and to give you a sense that this isn't recent we talk about uh, the earthquake um, and I'll get back to that as though that were some strange thing in Afghanistan and Syria as though that were it's not a strange thing at all between 1346 and 1353, uh, up to 200 million people died in Europe, Asia, and Africa from the Black Death. 200 million. From 1876 to 1879, 13 million people died in famines in China. In 1912, 220,000 people died in a Chinese typhoon. In 1918 to 1920, 100 million people died from the Spanish flu. 1931, up to 4 million people died in floods in China. Between 32 and 33, between 5 and 8 million people died in the Soviet famine. 1948, 110 people died in an earthquake in Soviet Union and Iran. In 1970, 500,000 died in East Pakistan from a cyclone. In 1991, 19,000 died in a cyclone in Bangladesh. In 2003, 72,000 people died in a European heat wave. In 2004, 228,000 died in an Indian Ocean earthquake and the subsequent tsunami. In 2010, 316,000 died in an earthquake in Haiti. As of 2020, 40 million people have died worldwide from HIV and AIDS. And in 2023, over 46,000 have died in the Turkey-Syria earthquake. So you add all those up and you can see that this world is not functioning in the way that God intended it to function. He created it as a beautiful garden with all of our needs to be met and it is broken and it testifies to the brokenness of mankind. It testifies to being outside the will and purposes of God. We've been studying on Wednesday night that there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness and I'm telling you that there would not need to be a new heaven and a new earth if this one was okay but this one is broken and I'm telling you a day is coming that God will set everything right. There will be a millennial reign on, on the earth by the Lord Jesus Christ and after the battle at the end of the millennium there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem as we go off into God's plans for the future but as you look around don't forget when you see the beautiful sunrise and the sunset that is the grace and mercy of God that are new every morning but this world is testifying to the deadly and dire consequences of sin and broken humanity we live in a broken world we also deal with broken people we also deal with broken people crime is a part of the human experience 
I read a list of international crimes, what internationally would be considered a crime, because crime is um, um, defined differently depending on what country you're in and what their worldview is and their system of justice is. But there are certain things that have been agreed upon internationally as being crime. Crimes against peace, crimes of apartheid, forced disappearance, genocide, incitement to genocide, piracy, sexual slavery, slavery in general, torture, waging a war of aggression, and war crimes. We can think about all the atrocities that have happened in our world. If you want to see the brokenness of mankind, then just spend a little bit of time understanding the horrors of the Holocaust and what mankind was able to do to mankind in the name of a better society and of a higher calling. People are broken in this broken world and do atrocious things, anything evil that the mind can imagine. Mankind has enacted against other man and women. What would cause a woman to drown her children in a lake? What causes a father to shoot his wife and the mother of his children and shoot the children? What causes the torture and atrocities that we read about in our world? And it's not always in that same extremity. 40 billion to 60 billion are lost annually due to wage theft. This compares to national losses of 340 million in our nation due to robbery, 4.1 billion due to burglary, 5.3 billion due to larceny, 3.8 billion due to auto theft just in 2012. And the term heinous crime is a specific term that is measured by inherent viciousness, includes murder, assault, kidnapping, arson, burglary, robbery, rape, and other sexual offense. And this was never intended to be. We live in the Midwest in our, in our cute little neighborhoods where we treat one another with some level of decorum and respect. But when you step back and look at the world that we live in, it is a broken world filled with broken people that are doing broken things to one another. And that has to change. That has to motivate us to do something. But if we become insulated in our safe little space, we're going to forget just how broken and diabolical this world is. I'll never forget when we took a mission trip from here to Chicago and we were there to give gifts and to help people, encourage people. And we were in between two buildings and the alley was called Blood Alley and there was security police at either end and we're told, don't you dare walk out by yourself. You need to be in pairs and go from one building to the other and not be caught in the alley because who knows what might happen. What is that all about? We've got to recognize that this world is broken. Paul describes the human condition this way. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are an open grave. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's how the Apostle Paul in that great treatise of salvation describes the human experience. There is no one that on their own, by their own initiative, seeks after God. That all our righteousnesses, Isaiah says, are as filthy rags that we are a broken, we are a broken creation of God. How does the Bible story start? Right after the Garden of Eden is created and Adam and Eve are in there enjoying life, they fail and God looks for them in the cool of the day and they're banished from the garden and banished from the tree of life. They give birth to sons, Cain and Abel. And before you get very far into the story, Abel is murdered by his brother Cain over a worship war. It was anger over worship. How broken do you have to be 
from having parents who walked with God in the cool of the day banished from the garden and the first two children you raise end up murdering one murdering the other because of a disagreement over how to worship God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in this world. People who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ are separated from God. Why do we believe in missions? Why do we believe in evangelism? Because we see the world is broken and getting worse. And I'm convinced that we don't care about reaching the lost because we're living in a delusional experience that there are good people around us and good people are going to be okay. But you don't measure good by some other goodness. You measure goodness by measuring it by God. And in the very soul and heart of every human being is all the seed that you need in order to do atrocious kinds of evil. And we have to see that. We have to see that, that this world is broken, filled with broken people. Yeah, but what about good people in the world around us? <laughs> oh, listen, I don't worry. I really don't worry that my neighbor is gonna break into my house and murder my wife and I. I am armed, but I don't worry about it. I get it. Evil of the heinous nature that we see in various parts of the world doesn't live next door to me. And because it doesn't live in my neighborhood, it's easy to forget how broken this world is, and to lull myself into a complacency that says good people are good, and I lose the sense of the emergency and the need to reach them. But the truth is, the, the truth is good people don't go to heaven. Redeemed people go to heaven. And the Bible talks about a day when death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire that Jesus describes as a place where the, where the, where the worm doesn't die and the fire isn't quenched. It goes on for eternity. That is repugnant to the natural mind, but it's the reality of the word of God. And we have to stop seeing people based on their virtue in the community and see them in their standing with God. And if they go into eternity without Christ, they go into eternal judgment. And that should bother us. I said that should bother us. It should move us. It should stir us. Joni Erickson Tata said the glory of Easter, the glory of the resurrection, the glory of the gospel is not that God makes bad men and women good, but that God makes bad men and, or dead men and women live because we're without hope and without God in this world. You look around, you cannot ignore the fact that this world is broken. God did not intend people to die in famines or in earthquakes or in tsunamis or to be murdered by crime, destroyed by ungodliness. What's another example of the brokenness of our world? Just I read just yesterday in the last few days a five-year-old in Pella, I believe, was sledding, slid out onto the street and a car hit that five-year-old and killed that child. And you have broken families, a broken uh, truck driver, and none of that was the plan of God. Sickness and disease and sorrow and separation, poverty and pain and suffering, none of that was the will of God. But that's what the devil and sin have brought into our environment that we have to live with. Can we turn the page? <laughs> Are you ready for the good news? The good news is that while we live in a broken world filled with broken people, God is in the business of restoring broken lives. Come on, let me hear an amen somewhere. 
The glory of the gospel shines brightest in the revelation of the darkness of sin. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I have good news to bring, and that is we serve a God who forgives, a sin in the heart of every man is a God-shaped void that can only be filled by God himself. On the back of every human being that lives in this world apart from God is a load of guilt and shame that they cannot overcome. But I'm telling you that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven, so that God-shaped void could be filled, so that load could roll off your back and God is still in the soul saving business he's not about reforming he's about forgiving he's not about therapy he's about erasing your debt and setting you free as far as east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us it doesn't matter how broken someone's life is. I, I've I shared recently someone telling me how, uh, uh, talking to people in law enforcement that there's certain egregious crimes that people cannot be rehabilitated from. And I absolutely agree that there are some pathways and some kinds of sins that you cannot be rehabilitated from. Once a molester, always a molester. Once a wife beater, always a wife beater. Once a drunkard, always a drunkard. If you're looking for man's rehabilitative processes to change your life. But I am not. I am not. I'm looking for a place at the foot of the cross where the blood of God's son splashes down on a broken life and that sin is washed away. Sin is forgiven by a God who loves us. What did Jesus cry from the cross? He didn't cry for justice. He didn't cry for judgment as he looked out on fallen broken mankind he cried out father forgive them for they know not what he what they do you can look at that and see it as a heinous miscarriage of justice when Jesus dies on the cross but I look at that as the greatest expression of the mercy and love of God to bring new life to a broken world and say whatever you have done he can forgive you I get frustrated with people once in a while. I'll hear someone say, I don't believe God can forgive me for what I've done. Well, you arrogant little punk. You arrogant little punk. You, you think you are that big. You think you are that important. You think you are that special that even God can't forgive you. And I'm telling you, just go to the cross. And when you see the eternal son of God wrapped in robes of finite mankind, and you're gonna tell me that your sin is bigger than the grace of God, that your sin is bigger than the mercy of God, that your sin is stronger than the blood of Jesus who condemned the sin in the flesh, who went into captivity and led captivity captive that has brought redemption to millions around the world you are not that big that you're bigger than his grace you're not that big one of my favorite stories was about an atheist 1800s somewhere in there came into a town began to curse god got a wash tub how many know what a wash tub is and stood on it in the center of town. He said, there is no God. There is no God. If there is a God, I'm gonna give him five minutes to walk me, to knock me off this tub. To knock me off this tub and kill me. And he's blaspheming God standing there. Then it goes quiet. Five minutes becomes four. Four becomes three. Three becomes two. Two becomes one. The final 30 seconds, the story tells us that women shrieked. Some fainted. They expect God to strike him with a lightning bolt. And in 30 seconds, he is still standing there. And nothing has happened to him. And he declares, therefore, I declare to you, there is no God. There's a pastor standing in the group. And someone said, Pastor, what do you have to say? And he said, 
does he really believe that he could exhaust the mercy of God in five minutes? Oh no. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The vilest sinner he makes clean. I read a similar story that I like better. And the pastor said, I don't ask God to do what I can do for myself and punch the guy in the face and knock him off the washtub. But I don't know if that one's true. <laughs> I'm telling you, his grace is immense. It's infinite he changes lives. I don't understand it, but I've seen it. I've watched God liberate people who are demon-possessed. I've watched God sober up a drunk. I've watched God break bondages of all kinds of sin and set people on a new course because God can forgive broken lives. He doesn't just forgive, but God also redeems. That word redeems means to release on receipt of ransom. You were guilty. You deserve to go to hell. I'm guilty. I deserve to go to hell. There's not one of us that have been good enough to earn heaven, but he paid my price. When he said it is, for, it is finished, he paid it all. He paid the whole penalty for my sin, and there is no longer any guilt written over my head. He forgives, he redeems, and he restores. The Bible says this, we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship. There's a particular kind of Japanese art that is highly valued, and I can't, I should have written it down, I can't remember the name of this form of art, but they'll take a bowl or a vessel that's been broken and they'll take those pieces and put it back together and put the pieces together with, with, um, with gold. So it's held together with gold and every crack is highlighted by a gold line. And there's a special name for that because it is highly valued artwork that what was broken, what was useless has now been made valuable by the hand of the crafter and by gold being applied to the brokenness and I'm telling you you were not redeemed by a corruptible thing such as silver and gold received by the tradition of your fathers but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ is our redemption he forgives he buys us back and he restores us what a message for this broken world I researched this to see if it were really true and I believe it is because I, heard, I saw the video. Um, and it was written on the side of a balloon flying over the United States. You've uh, probably heard of a man named Penn Gillette, Penn and Teller, who would talk about um, uh, magic and, and an avowed atheist Penn Gillette is an avowed atheist but I want you to hear what he says about Christians you ready an atheist I've always said that I do not respect Christians who don't proselytize I don't respect that at all if you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it could make it socially awkward and atheists who think people shouldn't proselytize and who are saying just leave me alone and keep religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize. How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. When you see the brokenness of the world, and you see the brokenness of people. And you know that God can mend broken lives. There ought to be something that wells up in us. That goes to lost people and tells them about Jesus. 
had a family member many years ago that had been a Christ follower and walked away from Christ. And we're talking over a holiday, sitting at a table, and it's like 2 o'clock in the morning as we're debating faith and scripture and, and uh, community standards and whatever else you could think of. And finally, he looked at me and said, why don't you just give up? It's not going to work. Why don't you give up? And I felt like God gave me a word. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I really believe God gave me a word. And I said to this family member, if you believed what I believe, and I believed what you believe, what would you do? There was silence. Looked at me and said, yeah, I would do what you're doing. I would do exactly what you're doing. If I saw a child in the street and a truck was coming, I don't care how mad a parent is going to be about my being mean to that child. I don't care how much that child protests. We are not going to have a debate. And likewise, if I'm standing somewhere and you see a vehicle coming at me, a teenager whipping around the corner in our parking lot, up and above. And you don't knock me out of the way. You don't care about who I am. I'm not talking about their car. I mean, you rescued me. I mean, you rescued me. Do we care? I'm convinced we don't see how broken the world is. And we have inoculated ourselves into thinking that goodness and community relationships are enough. I had this quote that I love about evangelism. Someone said the single greatest gift that Christ followers can give is an introduction to the God who created them, who loves them, and has a purpose for their lives. This is what evangelism is, constantly waiting for ways to give that gift to someone living away from God. The single greatest gift Christ followers can give is an introduction to the God who created them and loves them and has a purpose for them. I wonder if we believe that. Oh, I'm not standing up here. <laughs> I'm not standing up here as though I have it mastered. And believe me, I get it. There are some places if you step out of line, there'll be consequences for that. But why aren't we seeking God at a deeper level for opportunities to share our faith? Some years ago, a group of men were meeting for a prayer meeting before they all went to work. One of the men came to see me and he said, I just don't have any opportunities to share my faith. I don't know what to do. I'm feeling burdened. And I said, then here's what you do. You say, Jesus, send someone across my path today that I can share the gospel with. And if he doesn't send anyone across your path, it's on him, not on you. Just pray that prayer every morning. The next Sunday I saw him, he couldn't wait to tell me the number of people that God sent across his path. Two reasons. One, when you pray, God will answer. And two, when you pray, you better be watching. We have reinstituted something on our team. We start our staff meeting because I want us to model that. We have an occupational hazard here. We have to work with you most of the time. <laughs> not to say some of you don't need Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying occupational hazard. But we start staff meeting with who have you talked to, who have you shared a faith conversation with that you didn't know was a believer, they may have been, but you didn't know, outside the walls. Because we want to model what we believe the church should be doing. We're here, come on, we're here because of broken people. We are here because of broken people. Now, before you get too carried away, God, God can restore broken lives. But I've got good news for you. God can use broken people. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but all of God's people are forgiven people. That means all of God's people were on their way to hell. That means that all of God's people repented of their sins. That means that all of God's people have experienced forgiveness. 
and redemption and restoration. You don't have to be perfect to follow the Lord or be used by him. The fact that you're a Christ follower means that one time you were broken. That's what makes the story so compelling. There are no perfect people in the kingdom of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay that the all-surpassing power from God is seen as from God and not from us. In fact, I don't believe that you can can be used by God until you have been broken. And I believe that the people God uses the most are the people who have been broken the deepest. Out of redemption comes our greatest ministry. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. I, uh, Anne Brown shared a story with me. Jake and Vanessa, missionaries to Botswana, um, have a little girl named Kinley. I don't know how old Kinley is, but she's really little. And she was talking to her parents about how God talks to her. And they asked her about that. When does he talk to you? And Kinley's words were, Jesus talks to me when I cry sometimes. He says, Kinley, what's wrong? Come to me. That's the gospel? I said, that's the gospel? Out of the heart of a child? The message I bring to this world isn't, you dirty, broken, pagan, you're going to burn in hell. My story is I was a dirty, broken, pagan. And Jesus said to come to him. And when I did, the guilt rolled off my back. The void on the inside was filled. And let me take you to that Jesus that can do for you what he did for me. Someone said, I'm just a blind man telling another blind man where to find sight. I'm just a poverty-stricken person telling other beggars where to find bread. I'm not here to tell the world how bad they are because the world is already condemned. I'm here to tell them that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can tell you I was crying. I was broken and I heard God say what's wrong come to me broken people can lead other broken people to the one who mends broken lives oh there are broken people here and I'm going to do this I'm going to do something do not feel when I'm done that you need to affirm me in any way, okay? I'm not doing this so you will affirm me. I'm trying to illustrate we are a church of broken people. I, so I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna moan and complain a little bit. Is that okay? To make a point. So you don't have to come to me and say, I got your back. The reason I'm going to do this is to illustrate we're all broken. And 90% of this church, notice I didn't say 100. 90% of this church is very affirming and loving and building up. But I was thinking, preparing this message, what evidence is there of broken people here? And I can tell you, there's probably nothing in my life that hasn't been criticized. I've had all kinds of things criticized. I've been called a liar. I've been called all kinds. I've even had my color choice criticized in the clothes I wear on Sunday. I just need to do, um, uh, where's my daughter? I don't know. I forget what it's called, but that color stuff. There's something, what's it called? The color wheel? Yeah, that's something my grandmother had on her aluminum Christmas tree. I stand up here like a target. Now, all of you are very affirming, 
But you know what that tells me? When someone comes up and accuses me of being a liar or goes to someone else to find out if I told the truth or criticizes the way I dress or something of that sort or criticizes how the team dresses or has some other thing, you know what that tells me? That's just how broken they are. When you have to attack someone, you're broken. Hurt people hurt people. But I need to tell you, while I believe in having thick skin, sometimes it gets to me. Um, and I want to say, God, could you look away for a minute? I'd like to, t- anybody in the house? Just, can I have five minutes on my own? Just, I'll settle this. Crowbar, ball, bat, pistol, I don't care, I'll settle it. Because I'm human too. And I have my weak spots. And when you touch one of those, I may not react rightly. And people will say, but you're the pastor. (laughs) I've met a bunch. And I'm not impressed with pastors. And you are a child of God. And we're in this together. Is anyone hearing me? So when you feel like people are being unkind or aren't being grateful, don't let that shock you because we are all broken people that are being mended and being shaped and use the opportunity to to express forgiveness and let your life change. Well, how can God use them? (laughs) Because he uses broken people. He uses broken people. I had a family that helped me out when I went to Bible college, living in an ungodly situation, gave me a place to live. And then when I graduated from college, said if I came back to that church, they were leaving the church and taking five families with them. But God still used a broken person to help me. The same family had a dog. They loved their dog and, and um, they'd had it for years but the dog got hit by a car and it's rolled over into their driveway. In fact, I, I think probably, if I remember right, the, the um, husband of the family hit the dog, pulling in the driveway, didn't see it. And he went down to pick up that dog to comfort it. Anybody know what the dog did? Bit him right in the face. Because broken animals hurt people. So when someone bites you, You don't know, they might have just been hit by a car. That doesn't mean you get to do it. Hit them with a car. It means that broken people are what the kingdom is made of. So quit excusing yourself from being used by God because you're not mature enough. All you need to know is when I... When I cry, Jesus talks to me and he says, come to me. That's all you need to know. That's the story you need to tell. Many Bible characters made mistakes, but God still used them. Now, don't misunderstand me. Every Bible character that God used who made mistakes suffered the consequences of their mistakes. We talk about the great King David But after his sin with Bathsheba, his kingdom never rose to what it was before. And a child died. Moses was used by God, but he had a terrible temper. Right, but he didn't get to go in the promised land. He just led them up to the door. So I'm not excusing your brokenness. You will suffer the consequences of your brokenness. But that's why you come to Jesus, who cleanses and makes new and refreshes. The church is broken people reaching broken people. Let's tell them what the Lord has done for us. We're coming up on Easter. The great celebration where everyone will be talking about the resurrection. Even while they talk about bunnies and eggs and there'll be more fish sold during Lent that starts on Wednesday than any other time of the year. 
why aren't we telling them the good news? Why not right now say, God, who can I reach to bring with me to Resurrection Sunday? Because that changes everything. And if you want revival, do you know what revival is really about? Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they're all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like as a rushing mighty wind. And, it sat on, and peered into them tongues of fire, sat on each of them. And they spoke in other tongues and crowds gathered around. But what was the point? When revival comes, 3,000 unbelievers come to faith in Christ. The end result of revival is to revive the church so that dead people come to life. Would you pray with me that Easter Sunday will be a resurrection Sunday? And here's what I want us to own. Rather than criticizing and poking around, would you own this with me? Our mission is broken people. God, give us a love for broken people and help us bring them into the kingdom. Would you stand with me? and ask God to break your heart for the broken in our world. Jesus, would you speak to us? Would you transform the anger that we sometimes feel over broken people? Would you transform that into a burden for lost people and help us reach them? Give us opportunities, open doors, and prompt us. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said, amen, 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 amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. What a great God we serve. A thought. Wouldn't it be wonderful 
to change the culture. How many of you know that we live in a cancel culture? You make a mistake and it doesn't matter. You could make it 30 years ago and you're done. And the only thing that Jesus will cancel about you is your sin when he gives you new life. I am so thankful for that. Thank you for your faithful giving. Those of you um, that give uh, regularly, whether it's online, um, however you give, uh, in person or in the mail, appreciate that so much. Thanks for your generosity. And I wanna give you one quick story of giving. We took an offering a few weeks ago for the Snow family. Their house caught on fire. It's probably gonna be a year and a half before they can get into their, into their house and all that's done, living, you know, whatever. And, and you gave $4,000 to help that family. Now, let me show you how God works because of generosity. I had lunch with Pastor Snow last week and he said, we were just totaling up all the deposits we had to pay. And we'd have figured out a way and the insurance isn't paying yet, but it would all worked out. But we just got all that at $4,000 when we opened the mail. And then there was a check from Berean for $4,000. That's a good God. That's a good God. Thank you for your generosity, your giving um, to the work of the kingdom. We love you and bless you. Begin praying now. What broken person can you reach that can come experience the healing power of Jesus here at Brain Church? Amen. God bless you. Shake someone's hand. Be an encouragement to them today.